HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on Tour. I'm Dylan Hoyer reporting from Torino, Italy, where I'm a delegate at Terra Madre Salon del Gusto, the largest international event dedicated to good, clean, and fair food, hosted by Slow Food. More than 3,000 people, including farmers, cooks, and activists from 150 countries, have gathered to discuss the politics of what we eat. I'm so happy to be sitting down with Anna Moulet, the executive director of Slow Food USA, and Slow Food USA's communications director, Brian Solom. Thank you both. Thanks, Dylan. Anna, you grew up in rural upstate New York, and your family raised turkeys and made their own sausage. I'm just curious how your worldview was shaped by food and our food system from a young age. Yeah, I grew up in Petersburg, New York, which is a super tiny little town up on a hill. And we, um, I think of my parents as like conservative hippies. Kind of they, um, my dad's a hunter, he still is. We had a garden and grew up with, you know, growing and eating off the land in a lot of ways. So we raised turkeys, we um, raised guinea fowl, which was a bit of a failed experiment, but Nonetheless, um, yeah, did a lot of cooking and and, and um, eating right from home. So that I mean that has really formed my experience in terms of understanding how food is connected to home, how food is connected to really local economies. Now, when I left home and you know had to buy meat, for example, on my own, I was like, why is this wrapped in saran wrap? And uh, you know, I just learned, started to learn more about the industrial food system, and be like, oh my gosh, this is why. I really saw the the wisdom of my parents and and really growing as much food as they could at home. That's very cool. And you've gone on to live in Vietnam, Uganda, Papua New Guinea, and now are settled back in New York and Brooklyn. What did your travels around the world entail? And what did you learn about food globally? Like what's one big takeaway you have had from all those experiences? That's a great question. You know, food throughout the world is what connects people. It's what makes people feel like they can share a meal together and explore, you know, start with food, but then explore culture together, explore. I was at that time interested in music, dance and drama. So explore culture, music, dance, drama together. It all connects all of those things. I mean, food is such a universal pleasure 
Um, and so it's fun to now be in New York where the world is there in the city and in Brooklyn and to also have that experience. Um, and then to bring that experience to slow food, you know, both here in Torino and connecting people with connecting with Italians, but also really helping the network to connect internationally and helping to build those relationships across borders around food. Awesome. And Brian, food has, of course, likewise been a super important part of your life. Beyond your day-to-day -day professional work, you've founded a food literary journal, served as a VP of a food co-op, co-founded a mutual aid organization in your neighborhood in Chicago. How do these various elements of how we talk about and engage with food all come together and connect for you? Um, they, I think, you know, following along with what Anna was saying, food is such a connecting force for us. And uh, that's both uh, in terms of our economies and making sure that we're supporting each other through uh, supporting our food producers, supporting our uh, cooperative grocery stores, um, and also finding ways to make food, uh, you know, connect with people during times of crisis, as in the COVID-19 pandemic and the lingering effects, and frankly, the effects of our capitalist system on communities before the pandemic. So um, I think that it's important to continue to tell the story of food, use food as a lens for understanding how we connect, how we relate, uh, both past, present, and forecasting into the future. Awesome. And so we are in the lobby of a building where you both just hosted a delegation meeting for the U.S. and Canada. Can you describe what, what just went on in this event? Tell us about it. I can get started. Uh, we saw the beautiful, amazing diversity of ages and lived experiences and races and ethnicities and beliefs come together in a room, exchange uh, questions and ideas, exchange food products, um, all with the background of this global food festival that we're really privileged and honored to be a part of. Um, I personally loved hearing uh, from our colleague Denise Livingston, uh, who leads um, an amazing group of advocates of the Diné Nation, uh, tell a poem that she was inspired to write on her journey to Torino. I can only imagine what she's going to write about on her journey home after having these experiences of connecting with people, learning from folks. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine what I'm going to do and what our 200 delegates are going to do as a result of the experiences they're having over these five days. And what about you, Anaya? Tell us, tell us your reflections on the event. So we've had national meetings in the past at this event, and this year we really wanted to work in collaboration with Slow Food Turtle Island Association, which is the group of Native American and Native uh, Canadian um, folks, and Slow Food in Canada, and to really focus on how can we develop cross-border collaborations um, Heather from Canada was talking about, you know, fish don't see borders. They, uh, you know, swim up rivers, they swim down river, and they don't really care about the national politics. So um, that's one of our goals in this meeting and being here is to really develop those relationships and help people connect with each other. And towards the end of the meeting, you had everyone talk to their neighbor and talk through these three different prompts. Can you share what those were? Yeah, so our theme as the Slow Food US and Canada delegation was joy and justice. And what that means is, you know, we always want to talk about joy. Yes, food is delicious. We love eating in a community. And we need to also pair that with justice and food justice and making sure everyone has access to this delicious food. So I we wanted to focus on yes and it's joy and justice it's justice and joy and in the end in fact they're the same thing you know we can't truly have joy without 
having food acts good, clean, and fair available to everyone. And we can't have justice without joy. They're, they belong together. And I loved seeing Lorraine Gray and her son Mitchell do the hoop dance at the beginning of the meeting because that was such a joyful expression of what it means to be in community with each other. So the, the breakout group, we had people talk about what brings them joy in their community, then, you know, what's the biggest challenge? What is the justice issue in the community? And then what can we do to help spread more joy and justice in our network? So really putting the emphasis on the grassroots network here that Slow Food is not me and Brian in the national office, but it's this amazing group of delegates from across the United States and Canada or Turtle Island um, working together to bring joy and justice. On a personal level, whatever community means to you guys, I'd love to just hear like what your answers might be to these questions. Uh, So I I live in a community that is uh, differently politicized than I am. Um, My community back in Chicago is fairly conservative. And so what brings me joy is seeing my more... um, progressive and human rights focused neighbors come together and create space for togetherness, healing and wholeness. Um, And that also alludes to the injustices that I'm seeing in my part of Chicago and seeing that writ large across the, you know, communities in, in my very segregated hometown. Um, And we really need to come together and make sure that we're bringing food access, that we're bringing, um, you know, reform to our criminal justice system and um, advocate for joy and justice uh, in food and outside of food. One of my personal joys is watching my son learn about seeds and gardening. He's seven years old now, Hudson Joe. And, um, you know, just watching him learn how to plant a seed, watching that little bean sprout, that really brings me a lot of joy. And in terms of justice, I mean, if we look at the New York City public school system, you know, he's going to school and drinking chocolate milk, he's eating processed foods. I think New York has some progressive policies around that, but there's so much to do around school food in our systems and looking at the policies and structures that drive those purchasing decisions. So that's like the the joy and the justice together there. Yeah. Another really nice way that you had the U.S. and Canadian and Turtle Island delegates all connect is people were asked to bring something to exchange from home. I've walked away with like four different types of beans that yeah. I'm so excited about. <laughs> what what kind of exchanges were you all witnessing out there? Yeah, this was a year of the beans for us. So I also <laughs> brought beans and got some beans. Um, you know, we have this project called the Arc of Taste, which is all about biodiversity in our communities. So someone gave me the Long Island cheese pumpkin. That was really fun. And um, Brian, what, what did you see? Yeah, I received a, a Blenheim apricot that was dried. I cannot wait to snack on that later. Um, I had some uh, cane syrup from a delegate uh, that was quite delicious. And, you know, I, I think I really appreciated the way that she described um, both how it was produced, um, the history with her family, um, helping me understand what I should be looking for in cane syrup and describing the the notes um, and really, you know, not just kind of handing me a packet and saying, enjoying your own, but like telling the story of the food as it related to her and as it relates to my experience of it. Yeah. And I was standing at that table. She had cane syrup, she had seeds, and just so many people were flocking towards and offering what they had too and sharing stories about where they were from and what their parents were making. And just very cool, the conversations that it leads to. So you all have been, Terra Madre has been going on for a few days now. What have some of the highlights been from the week as a whole? 
Uh, I think for me, uh, the highlights have been meeting so many people that I've worked virtually with, really, you know, organized with across the Slow Food USA volunteer network. Uh, we're a network of 83 different chapters across the U.S., and those chapters are predominantly led by volunteers who are taking time out of their busy lives to advance good, clean, and fair food for all in the way that's meaningful to their community. Um, and so whether it's, um, you know, interviewing someone about their food distribution hub through, you know, their slow food chapter, learning about the, the Kling Peach Project, which is another arc of taste ingredient that's being revitalized in the American South. Um, you know, being able to connect to the people that I've learned about through video, through phone calls, <laughs> through late night emails, and being able to hug them and embrace them and get to know them on a really intimate level has been incredible for me. Definitely seeing delegates in person that we've been on Zoom with is like amazing. Um, and also to connect with international delegates. So I had dinner last night with Elthas from Soul Food Kenya. They do an amazing seed library project with villages and women farmers in Kenya. I met with um, Mugumi from Japan and she's doing amazing work. They, ha they, they produced like a children's book all about sustainable fish. All these amazing people around the world, it's really great to just sit down and see the commonalities of our work. You know, the slow food does have a common vision of good, clean and fair food for all. And to be able to understand what that means in different cultural contexts and countries, it's really incredible. Do you guys have a best bite from this week? A best buddy? A best bite. <laughs> oh, like best, best bite. Eat in. <laughs> I uh, was with a colleague and she had had this incredible cone full of uh, lamb that is nestled with some delicious, uh, vibrant cheese and laid atop some bread. Uh, I think it's called, uh, uh, I'm not going to try, but it was such the perfect snack that I needed before this gathering today. It was, uh, it was rich. It was small. It was, a, you know, just a tasting, but um, it really just like had the perfect seasoning, the perfect salt content. Um, and made me very happy. Yeah. And I went to the Slow Food Japan booth yesterday after my meeting with Megumi, and they have um, seaweed pesto. They call it the basil of the sea, um, and they put it on some spaghetti, and it was really tasty. I love that. So back at Slow Food USA at home, what are you both working on that's getting you excited right now? So something I'm excited about at the Slow Food USA office is the release of our storytelling framework for cultural exchange. Um, this is a guide that um, I created uh, with a couple of my colleagues um, to help our network really effectively tell the story of foodways in their communities uh, in a relationship-based way. Um, so often we're, as reporters or storytellers, we're creating space for other people's stories, and that can sometimes feel a little transactional. Uh, and so we put together um, a pretty comprehensive guide that you can find on our website, slowfoodusa.org, um, that gives some um, ideas, some questions, that a storyteller might want to ask themselves uh, and then some some guidance on exactly how to like start a relationship with someone and then think about how to follow through with um, telling creating space for their story not not really telling their story um, we were fortunate to co-produce this uh, with a, a grant from the um, food systems leadership network that's also culminating in a five-story uh, micro grant program that uh, had uh, allowed us to connect with five uh, storytellers who we chose to ex show examples of cultural exchange storytelling 
in their ways that we'll be releasing in October. And do you have an example of someone who's put that into action yet? Absolutely. Um, so um, someone uh, that is actually new to the Slow Food USA network uh, on the East Coast is really invested in um, indigenous and local fishing uh, fishers, fishing ways. And so she's putting together um, kind of a story map where she's um, engaging with uh, fishers who represent a bunch of different experiences and has gone, you know, on their boats with them, has really developed relationships with them outside of the context of even telling their story. Like those relationships are um, relationships she'd formed prior to this project. And she's continuing those relationships by saying, hey, let's um, put together, you know, a compendium of your experiences so that folks can learn from your practices, learn from your experiences of the intersection of some parts of your identity and some parts of your work and your lived experience. So I'm really excited to read that one in particular, but they're all amazing. They're from um, literally across the continent uh, and they're going to be really, really cool. Very cool. One of our big programs this year is the plant a seed campaign. I said, we're all about beans this year. We've really leaned into beans, but as a way to start a conversation about climate change, about health and nutrition and about food justice. So telling the stories, for example, of the Cherokee Trail of Tears bean. Okay, it's a delicious bean. It's easy to grow, but also, and also, um, it tells a story of forced migration of indigenous peoples of the Cherokee Nation. So we are using, starting with the bean, um, this is the joy and justice, right? Starting with the bean, but also telling more complicated stories about our food history. Um, so we started, this spring with mailing out seeds um, to how many people? Almost uh, 700 people across the country. They've been planting, they've been harvesting, I've been planting and Brian's been planting and harvesting. And now we're doing bean suppers. We're moving into like the delicious, let's enjoy and have a meal together. So this fall and winter, we'll be having a series of bean suppers across the country um, and just feasting together and and continuing telling those stories of climate, health, and food justice through beans. Wow. Tell me more about the dinners. Who are you collaborating with for those? What kind of food can we expect? Yeah. <laughs> We're doing a really fun dinner in, in, in D.C. in collaboration with the FAO, Food and Ag um, Organization of the U.N. So that will be in, that will be in late October. Um, and then we're working on a dinner in Seattle. We have plans in um, Chicago, Portland, Texas. We're, we're still organizing. We've been a little focused on Terra Madre, but um, this fall, yeah, we have a, a good series coming up. So is traveling across the U.S. an important part of your jobs? It, it has been in the past. COVID has really um, stopped a lot of the travel, you know, we're, we're like the organizers. So we're not necessarily the ones on the ground doing the cooking and organizing, but we're the support system for the chapters and for the network. So for example, slow food is really slow food. DC is involved in the DC, um, bean supper. Given how much of your work, you know, can thrive when people can come together in person, how did you adapt to the pandemic and, yeah, how does it feel to be at such a, a large in-person gathering? And what pros and cons are you seeing of both ways of connecting with people? Yeah, we hosted a very large festival that HRN was part of called Slow Food Nations in Denver. We hosted it for three years from 2017 through 2019. It was an amazing festival, brought people together from all across the country. Um, of course, COVID ended that. And, um, you know, 
with the end of that festival, we've really been able to lean more into programming, to lean more into these campaigns like the Plant a Seed campaign and to put more of our energy into developing the network and the chapters. So um, gatherings are amazing. And I think partnering with other <laughs> events is a, a great way to keep the personal connection um, without maybe hosting our own event. So um, yeah, we're all about partnering and collaborations. Any other thoughts to share before we wrap up? Yeah, I would just say, you know, Slow Food is like a people's network. It's a grassroots network. So there's a lot of opportunities for people to get involved. You know, we're like a big umbrella. So if you're interested in fish, there's a slow fish community. If you're interested in farming, we have, we're talking about beans and regenerative agriculture. We have slow wine, slow beer. It's a, it's a big tent for all sorts of different niche and, and big interests. So. Um, yeah, just encourage people to look around in their communities if there's a chapter near them or to connect with these more thematic groups that we have. Thank you so much. Do you have something to add? Uh, not really. I would, I would just say like Slow Food USA is also a membership-based organization. You know, we are so fueled by the over 3,000 members across the U.S. who are committed to good, clean, and fair food for all and make a commitment by donating as little as $5 a month to fuel our programming to make sure that we're, as a small nonprofit staff, able to support these networks that Anna has mentioned. Um, you know, we, yeah, like food justice doesn't happen overnight for free, right? We all need to um, make a contribution in whatever way is meaningful to us, whether it's donating four hours um, at an event for your local slow food chapter, um, or yeah, if it's making a donation of $20. Um, so we definitely encourage folks to head to our website at slowfoodusa.org um, and show their commitment if they're able. Thank you both so much for sitting down for this wonderful meeting and bringing together of delegates. I was so fortunate to be able to sit in and to witness all of these exchanges. Thank you to everyone for listening. Listen to more of Heritage Radio Network on tours coverage of Terra Madre and other food events around the globe, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to Slow Food and the Italian Trade Agency for hosting me here at Terra Madre. Heritage Radio Network on Tour is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. HRN On Tour is powered by Simplecast. This episode of HRN On Tour was produced in part by generous funding from the Julia Child Foundation.